Welcome to Tracks to Success, brought to you by Presentation Partners. This is the podcast that brings you inspiring people and their inspiring stories. How did they find their way to the top and how can their path help you do the same? Here's your host, network broadcaster, executive and entrepreneur, Craig Kahn. Right now on this edition of Tracks to Success, You'll hear from one of the rising stars in stand-up comedy, a one-time salesman in the packaging industry who wasn't laughing when it didn't work out and turned his focus to making others have a good time and a great laugh. His path to the stage holding a microphone is unique, and it didn't come early. In fact, now he's just hitting his prime. He went from house MC to the main attraction in short order. He's found his way to a stint on the set with David Letterman. He's been on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert. And he's now crisscrossing the country and other countries too, showcasing his quick wit, hilarious takes on family and marriage, and topics well beyond in front of packed houses and arenas like Madison Square Garden. So how does a guy with a wife and young children flip the script on a career midstream? And what's his definition of the perfect show? His name is Pat McGann, the pride of Chicago and coming to a city near you. His inspiring story and this edition of Tracks to Success starts now. Folks, my next guest is a comedian coming to us from Chicago. Please welcome Pat McGann. <laughs> Well, Pat, I saw you in Vegas, liked it so much. We saw you in Chicago, so I've been following you ever since. Just want to say thank you very much right up front for some time and welcome to Tracks of Success. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Craig. I appreciate it, man. Man, this is good. This is either going to be the easiest interview conversation I have ever done with this podcast or the most difficult. To be perfectly honest, I have no idea what direction it's going to go because you're a comedian. You could one-up me on like everything I could ask you. No, 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 no. I mean, I mean, we could just have a conversation. I don't have to try and be on. Well, this is going to be great, man. Great, great question right there. Do you feel like you always have to be on? I do not. No, not at all. I don't feel that way. I'm, I, I am annoyed by people that are always on. I think that I just try and be myself. Like if, if something, if I can say something funny, I will, but I'm not like... You know, because you hear that a ton. If you're introduced to someone as a comic or they know that you're a stand-up when you talk to them, uh -huh. I always hear all the time, like, oh, you don't seem funny. You're not funny in real life. And I think I am probably less funny off stage than I used to be because I kind of feed that that beast by doing live shows. I mean, I do love to get laughs, but I don't necessarily need to be getting laughs all the time off stage where I think I kind of used to be funnier offstage yeah no, that makes sense so let's start with this then pretend this podcast is actually <laughs> a late night program that i'm hosting okay i'm at my yeah. you know little desk in this uh hollywood studio or new york city studio i'm 10 seconds away from introducing you okay you're standing backstage thinking what exactly well, I have had the, the opportunity to do a couple of those shows. So I did um, 
Letterman and Colbert. And when, when you're about to go out live, like to do a set stand-up set, uh-huh. it's, uh, it's, it's a little nerve wracking. Like you're definitely in your head a little bit. I think the more you do it, the more comfortable you are. But I think, uh, I'm, I would just be gearing up kind of like when you're waiting in the tunnel to go out there to play like a basketball game or, you know, get out out onto the, the field for a big game you're amped up and you're focused and kind of don't want anybody in your ear, you know? Right. So do you have a warm up routine? Do you, do you walk around practicing jokes? I mean, I, I public speak and I have a little warm up routine. I like have this little talk with myself, you know, nobody ever sees yeah. that I go into a hallway or into a bathroom and I, I do like 30 seconds and I tell myself some stuff. What do you do? Do you meditate? Do you sit still, tell everybody to leave you alone? What do you do? Just vocal exercises, you know, a lot of bumblebee, bumblebee. No, I'm kidding. Just, uh, <laughs> I just kind of pace, think about what I'm going to do and try and really like get into the moment uh-huh. um, and just be aware of the situation. Be ready to deliver the material. And because, you know, when you're doing a late night set, that's a set you've done over and over and over, but you want to recreate the spontaneity that really selling the fact that you haven't said this a thousand times or whatever, <laughs> however many times, right? I mean, yeah. you want it to seem in the moment. Um, and that's just, I think what you strive for. All right. I want to ask you about Colbert and Letterman and we'll do that in just a little bit, but you're introduced as Chicago's own, right? Does the city actually claim you? I mean, are they like really proud of you? You know, I have um, a lot of support here in Chicago. I live in the city and I live in a part of the city that's very working class. It's the south side of Chicago. Mm-hmm. A lot of police, fire, firemen, teachers. And I think that they have embraced me. One of the things that I did when I started out was I would do like Catholic parishes, grade schools, like fundraisers. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what this neighborhood neighborhood is. It's a bunch of different parishes. And I started doing comedy nights at those parishes. And then those people, when I wasn't really doing that anymore, those people would come see me at Zany's Comedy Club. And I was building, you know, some followers from doing shows at Zany's um, and then I was doing those parish shows, started doing them in the suburbs. So I've done a lot around the Chicago area. So I think they are starting to claim me. It's a really big city. There's, I really need to try and attract more people here in Chicago. Um, I just got a nice piece in the Chicago Tribune yesterday in the arts and entertainment section for these pop-up shows I'm doing in my living room. Uh, so that felt good that they invited me to you know they want to come to my house and cover what i'm doing and then i was on uh wgn morning news here in chicago which is a big our biggest like morning news show which really moved the needle um and man you could tell people are locked down because this morning news show i've done it i'll do it like maybe twice a year and i always pick up a bunch of followers maybe like 40 50 60 (laughs) the other day i did a hit in the morning and i got like 600 that's because everybody's at home. I know. It's, it's uh, 
It's a good crazy. Time to engage. So I'm a Chicago guy. I don't know if if when we chatted briefly after one of those shows, if I ever told you that West suburbs, um, grew up in Lagrange, Western Springs area. I was the kid yes. that knew exactly what I wanted to be when I grew up. Right, I wanted to be a sportscaster, and I got that. Awesome. But then it That's changed. Funny. So what's your story as a little kid? What what did you want to be? Where did you grow up? All that stuff. I grew up in um, in Beverly, West Beverly, mm-hmm. Morgan Park area, and I wanted to be, you know, I love basketball and baseball. So my first thing I probably wanted to be was was that like a professional athlete, which you start to realize is not going to happen, you know, probably around high school. And um, from there, I was kind of a little lost, you know. I thought about law school because that's what my dad did. I went to um, college in Ohio, University of Dayton, and ended up majoring in history. Thought maybe I could teach history and coach basketball. And then I realized that um, I probably wanted to make a little bit more money. (laughs) So I got into sales, which was like, I just ended up there. People would just say, oh, you'd be good at sales. So I like talking to people and I like, socializing and I just ended up in sales and I was doing that for 10, 11 years. I didn't start stand up till I was like 31. Yeah. So I, I'm a late comer. I started really late. Um, but I always had this in the back of my mind. I always liked writing and, uh, but i never liked performing. I was never in a play or on a stage. So that was the biggest leap for me to, to try that, to actually get up in front of people. You got to be really bummed. By the way, you got to be you got to be really bummed that Dayton didn't get its chance as a number one seed in March Madness. By the way, that's the only thing I'm going to ask you about college athletics, dude. I, Craig, I was you know I, perspective right, and because everyone is dealing with this thing, but when it first hit, that was definitely one of the the first thoughts, and all my like UD buddies and. My family, my dad went to Dayton, my sisters went to Dayton. So we were all crushed by that. They, that was the best, the most magical year they've ever had. Yep. And the double whammy of it was, you know, Dayton in, I believe it was September when they had that mass shooting. That city has always embraced the Flyers. That's like their pro team. They're going right. to, you know, um, I felt really bad for the people of Dayton. Yeah. No doubt about it. I mean, that that's always been what, you know, the play-in game or or one of the early games, you know, in the NCAAs, Dayton was like a venue, you know. This time it was a team, and it was, you know, they had a great yeah. player and all that. So you just, like of all the, of the NCAA kids that you think about, and so many of them affected by canceling March Madness, my mind went straight to Dayton because mid-majors don't get that shot to be a number one seed and, and legitimately be looked at as a potential national champion or final four contender. I mean, it's just, it's just different. When, when you were that kid growing up, Beverly, wherever, and you said you like to talk to people and all, all that, were you, were you a kid that held court? Cause like now you hold court. That's, that's kind of what you do. Did you hold court back then? I mean, n- not any more than my buddies. Like we were always out running around and we were all smart asses. Everybody was trying to <laughs> crack the other guy up, you know? We weren't necessarily class clowns or punks, but 
we were like the, the guys I ran with, we were always trying to like entertain each other and just be just funny. All, all of my friends still are, I just hang out with funny people, I think. So you mentioned that you were in sales packaging, right? Like you were, what, what were you selling and how could you? Oh, here, I could bring it right to you because I met you in Las Vegas. Yep. I remember at Brad, yep. Brad Garrett Club. I used to have a ton of business in Las Vegas. That was where most of my accounts were because I sold to hotel and casinos, like the printed bags. Like, so when you go to Caesar's Palace and you go to like their sundry shop and they give you a Caesar's Palace bag, yep. I sourced those. <laughs> And then when like Celine Dion was the first act at the Coliseum, when they built that, she was like the resident act and she had a Celine Dion gift shop. So we did all the packaging for that gift shop. And then Elton John came in and then Bette Midler came in and I was like the packaging guy for all that. That's, that's what I was doing. Have you used that in your standup? Like, is that a no. funny bit? That could be no, a funny my, bit, couldn't it? It's too, it's too, it might be. Maybe still too painful to revisit because <laughs> I was not that good at it. I was good at inheriting accounts. I opened up a couple of accounts, and I did actually in Las Vegas too, but it started to get so competitive. And once, like, the internet blew up, it was – and people were just – it was so easy to get in touch with people and they, there was no value in like relationships. Mm -hmm. It was like, I was losing business on price everywhere. And like people telling me like, can you match this quote? This is what like, we love you. We've been work working with you for years, but I, I got to save money. So it was just like, I got to get out of this. Mm -hmm. So who told you comedy was your thing? And, and when you stood up there at first, how bad were you? after somebody told you this could be your thing? Um, you know, I started dating my wife in March of 07. That's when I met her. And I first went on stage in September of 07. And that was the, um, she was really, I got to give her credit. Like I kind of confided in her like, hey, I got these notebooks and I've been writing and I kind of think I could try stand up. Like it took me a lot just to say that to her. Cause I mm -hmm. thought my thing was like, if I say this to people they are all going to be like, why do you think you could do that? Like, you think you're funny? Like, what, what are you talking about? Like, um, but she really encouraged me. She was like, everybody is from somewhere. They're just regular people doing this. Go do it. Now. I don't know if she would tell me to do it again today. <laughs> now, now knowing how much I would, well, now I'm home all the time, but, you know, I'm usually gone and it's, it's a, uh, it's not the easiest life, especially when you got little kids, but, um, that's, that's how it started. Just going to open mics in Chicago. And then I, I was bad at the first time I, you know, the light in your eye, when you go on, go on a stage, I never knew how blinding that was. So that's what I remember from my first experience was like, I just could not see the audience. I was terrified and I just forgot 50% of what I had prepared. But I got a couple laughs. I got a couple laughs that I was like, okay, I didn't completely embarrass myself. And I love how that felt. I got a big rush out of it. Um, it's like, I, I got to do it again. So I started doing it. So then you find out like, okay, they laughed at this, you know, 
They didn't laugh at this, so I'm going to shelve that. They laughed at this, so I can make that my thing. Maybe I do five minutes on that. Is that how it works when you're first starting out? You figure out where your kind of your lane is, if you will? I think when you're first starting out, it's not even like your voice. Like, it's not what you're talking about. It's just getting comfortable on stage and writing jokes. Like, that probably are, you're not that attached to. That's how I started. What I found out through doing this and being in the world of comedy is that talking about your life is probably like the best route, you know, keeps you original, keeps you fresh. And it like, you just become relatable in whatever way. Mm -hmm. But when I was first starting out, I was just very detached from my material. Like I had a bit about homeschool. I had a bit about Taco Bell. and I mean, these were funny things. They were observational, but it, it was not really like me. Like, I think you're, you're always trying to get to this place where you're just like so authentic up there. And I'm still not there, but that's the, uh, I think that's the journey. I, I think that you, you are there. Don't sell yourself short because I, I saw you work a room not once but twice and it's and it's a gift, you know. It's it's something that not a lot of people have. At the same time, I think with the listeners that listen to this podcast, what I want them to try to maybe take from this is also just what goes in the mind of a guy who's become successful when you probably had a lot of self-doubt, right? I mean, you talk about the lights being bright and maybe losing your focus. I mean, my world in TV, when I was TV, everybody said the camera adds 10 pounds. So I'm like, all right, make sure there's only <laughs> one on me, you know, don't make sure, I don't need yeah, three yeah. of them on me. But like, you had to have some self-doubt and going, all right, I wasn't great at sales or I didn't want to do sales. I'm trying this. What next if this doesn't work out? Yeah, you know what? I started gradually. I didn't like quit my job right away. And I kind of eased into eased out of my commission sales job. Like it, my commission just was dropping, dropping, dropping. And but while my shows and schedule were kind of climbing, but I wasn't making any money. Like I couldn't really sustain. I, so I eventually got laid off and then I got another job working at a restaurant um, to just try and bring in some more money. And then when I, um, started doing the shows like you never have you never don't have self-doubt like i still have it i get it you know i can give you an example as recently as two days ago i'm doing these pop-up shows in my room or in my house during this this lockdown and i got the coverage on it got excited about it and i tried to like you know send it out to some people in la and they're just they weren't all that excited about it and then you like start to creep in the back of your head, like, should I be doing these shows? Like, I just got, I just got some coverage on it and people are giving me good feedback, but maybe, you know, and I've been rejected by every late night show. I've been rejected by festivals, by people that, you know, air specials, networks, but I've also gotten a lot of yeses along the way too. And some plenty of validation. Yeah, but it's I'm constantly getting rejected and getting told no or not right now or maybe that's just part of the game you realize and it's hard to not take it personally because 
what I do is personal. This mm-hmm. is my life that I'm sharing. So yeah, it sucks when you, when you get that, but I think you just learn that you got to be resilient. Cause if you, if you quit, you just, you're gonna, you're not going to survive. Yeah. Our greatest successes always seem to come from not in our comfort zone, but from out of our comfort zone. Like when people say, you can't do this, you're never going to make it. And then you go, you know what? Hey, I am going to make it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And you keep persevering and all that. So you have made it. You talk about the yeses you got. Tell me about Letterman. What was it like to be on his show? It was phenomenal. You know, that was the one show that I was really trying to get on. When I first started, that was like my major goal. And um, it took three years. Um, So when I finally got it, I was the most excited I think I've ever been. I'm usually usually at home doing chores. <laughs> Laundry, that's my big one. And I'm married. I have to do my wife's clothes and my clothes. And I'll tell you what, that kind of ruins the moment when we mess around. <laughs> I no longer tear her jeans off. I take them off. Like, I'm going to lay these out. I'm probably, probably wear these again. Take her shirt off. What is this, linen? I'm going to have to iron this. We messed around the other night. She got a little sweaty. She's like, I'm going to get a towel. I was like, you're going to get a paper towel. (laughs) I just did towels. Definitely in the world of comedy. So I go out there and they treated me so well. You know, they fly you out there. They got the guy at the airport with your name on the sign. They bring you in to into Manhattan, into the city, and put you up right around the corner from the Ed Sullivan Theater. And then just that, the Ed Sullivan Theater. Like, I'm kind of a, a history guy, a pop yeah. culture guy. Like, it's not lost on me that that's where the Beatles made their debut. It's that stage, you know? Elvis performed there. All of that. Like, that's cool to me. And Letterman is a legend, icon. Like, that's the guy growing up. He was the benchmark. I remember Johnny Carson. I remember my parents watching Johnny Carson, but I was so into David Letterman. Um, so it was a thrill. I mean, it was so cool. I had like a bunch of buddies came out from Chicago and my college roommate came out and my parents were of course there and my wife and um, sisters. Like it was a moment. It was definitely um a moment so it was it was very cool i was nervous i was very nervous and uh it was a blur but it was it was cool did he talk to you before or after did he say anything and and not before not before i did see like a few of the you know like biff and paul schaefer and mm-hmm. but i did not see david letterman until he introduced me and even then you don't really see him. Like you look, I, I remember coming out and looking over there and that's a, here's the first time I've seen him. Like, mm. and I'm already nervous. <laughs> now you're performing really like on TV. It looks like you're further apart. He's only really like 10 feet away from you. And I could hear him laugh at a couple of the, the jokes. And that was, you know, you're processing that and, and trying to remember your next line, you know? So it was, uh, yeah, it was it was cool. How many? I did times? get the chance to do it a second time, uh, like a year and a half later, mm-hmm. or a year later. 
And that time was, it was a difficult time in our, in our life for personal reasons, but I was also like able to enjoy the, the moment more and like really take it in. Yeah. How many times did you like rehearse for Letterman compared to Zany's or some other place around the country? I mean, I, I got to imagine, you know, you're going, this is my big break. And, and if I nail this, gosh knows. And if I don't, you know, like the pressure you might've felt. Oh yeah. I was doing the set. It was like a five minute set. I was running it everywhere. So when you have that set coming up, like I knew, I remember that the date was probably like January 23rd or 4th. So once January hit every night, I was going to Zany's and doing that five minute set. And then I would do it somewhere else too, you know, do it at another Zany's. There's they have three clubs at that time. They had three clubs in the Chicagoland area. And then, you know, there's a lot of independent rooms and bar shows. And I would, you know, call those bookers or whoever's running those rooms. Be like, can I pop up for five minutes? And I ran that set everywhere. Mm. And I still screwed it up. I still screwed up a line in the, in the <laughs> actual taping. In addition to hosting this podcast, Craig leads the Can Advisory Group focused on elevating communication for companies and individuals. Company consulting, empowering team and individual workshops, mind-altering webinars, and Craig's inspiring keynotes for your conference or company meeting. They're all on the menu of services. Can Advisory helps companies clarify their message, helps professionals build and showcase their brand, and helps everyone present their best selves. So if you're the leader of a team or company looking to give your employees a game-changing one-day experience or an individual who wants to become a speaker and presenter that gets other people talking, visit canadvisory.com. And when you do connect, make sure to mention the Tracks to Success podcast to receive a special discount on any of the Can Advisory services. That's canadvisory.com. Now back to the interview. So there's a couple topics, and I've seen you a couple of times, um, that you really go after. And it, it, you know, most comedians probably do. One of them is marriage. I mean, is that just like such an easy target? Why, why does everybody go there? I think it's just, you're, it's, if you're married, that's, that's your life. You're a married person. So it's not like I'm railing on marriage per se. I mean, maybe it sounds like I am. I'm just, I'm just airing out the bull, like the BS in my relationship. <laughs> I'm just like the, you know, the blowing through money, the, the, what we're doing all the time, like the, you know, the kids and it's not that I get, uh, easy i think it's just like i'm you're just reporting your life experience yeah and every guy sitting next to his wife in the audience or guy who's sitting next to his potential wife or we could flip it right i mean they're just their minds are just spinning with you so it's got to be just like the easiest thing to go along with yeah and i think it's just as long as it's not like too easy, like I never would want to do like the, the hacky, like, so, you know, my wife's so exhausting and you know, <laughs> my boss, like yeah. all that, yeah. you know, 
take my wife that that stuff but i try and like slightly exaggerate the truth but it has to be rooted in the truth or it's mm-hmm. you can't you cannot sell it yeah. it's not going to be relatable kids i mean that's another easy one because everybody can relate to that and and you've got young kids so you know some of your bits that i've seen about you know um the wife waiting to come home you're watching the kids and we all know that there's such a different dynamic between the woman watching the kids and the guy watching the kids right yeah 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 i do the bit about uh you know they're always asking me when when's mom gonna be home it's like when i start paying attention to you she's close yeah you know when i i don't know when i put my phone on the counter she's in the driveway go find out how her day was but i try and do these bits like we went to a water park and i was like this is a a disaster like but everybody's there it's like lemmings right it's like we all walk off the same cliff as parents like we know that we shouldn't be bringing our kids out of state to play a hockey game but we do it even though they suck and they could be getting beat down the street we got to take them out of state stay in a hotel and you want to like jump out a window but <laughs> just break your leg because it's a and then there's only three floors yeah it's uh get into all that stuff just you know there's so much hypocrisy around us right like that's what life is it's contradictions it's all this and i think that's what you're pointing out everything is just ridiculous yeah so one of my favorite one of my favorite bits that I've seen from you is the I think it's the woman over thirty five with the open shoulder shirt right the 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 sleeve up yeah, on, yeah. on the shoulder G- give me that bit would you <laughs> the open shoulder bit the uh, the cold shoulder the peekaboo it's like they Every woman has that now. So they hand them out to you. Once you turn 38, they're like, here's your open shoulder shirt. Get in line. Now get out there. Show everyone what you're working with. And now every woman's walking around. Hey, check it out. Check this out right here. <laughs> here's a part of my body I'm confident about. <laughs> like, you t- checking this out? Yeah, that's where the doctor gives me a shot. That's a tetanus guy right there. <laughs> They love wearing those shirts. Then they start talking about their new diet that always starts tomorrow. They always catch them on their cheat day. They're like, tomorrow, I'm starting a detox. I'm doing a cleanse. I got some apple cider vinegar and some chia seeds. I'm drinking kombucha. You want to do it with me? It's like a 10-day. It's like, no, I don't want to do it. I'm not doing it. Like, they want to, like, give up dairy. No more dairy for me. It's like, how about no more peanut butter cups till Wednesday? (laughs) Why don't we give that a shot? before we throw out all the milk and half and half we already paid for so it's easy to pick on the wives or the husbands or the in-laws right or the kids do your kids think you're funny i mean my kids never watched me on tv they'd like blow that off you know yeah whatever do do they think you're funny my daughter does my daughter is eight and she doesn't get all the jokes but like she gets like they think I'm funny in the house. Like I'll do goofy stuff or say things. They mm-hmm. don't get a lot of it. Um, but I do think my daughter is like more like on the same page 
so my boys are just kind of like you know they're just they're just idiots these little dudes they're just like whatever i mean i love they're not idiots and that's i know yeah, that sounds terrible when i said that but they're just like they don't get it they don't give a crap about me they're just like chasing each other around tackling each other it's hilarious it's like you could see it early the difference right i mean my daughter is like so organized and so like perfect and then i got these mopes literally playing grab ass like i thought grab ass was like uh just a like uh i don't know where that came from i remember my coach being like that you guys playing grab ass. my boys i walked in they were literally trying to grab each other's ass like what the hell are you guys doing <laughs> so when i was at golf channel i would go to parties right with couples or friends and everybody wants to talk about tiger like you're the cool guy you go to this major championship you're at the masters or hey you went to the Ryder cup what was it like whatever you can't escape it when you go everybody wants to talk about that stuff so is that what is that what happens pat people come up and go give it to us and you're on stage whether you're trying to have a drink or hang out with friends or what no i mean that's the worst when people do that. So, it, people I don't know sometimes will say like, oh, you're a comic? Say something funny or be funny, you know, that whole thing. Yeah. It makes you like shrivel up. You're like, but I do, um, I'm a social guy. I like to be around people and, but I'm not holding court at, by any means or trying to, but I do like to, you know, this is where you get material when you go out with people and you see things, you talk about other stuff and you hear what other people are experiencing. Like I kind of, like those situations because I don't get to do them often because I'm always doing shows. So I don't get to go out and socialize with my wife and our, our crew. You know, mm -hmm. my wife usually has to go to that stuff by herself. Um, so when I, I'm kind of socially awkward now, I used to be better in social situations, but it's like you get out of practice. Yeah. You know, I didn't even think about that. I mean, you're traveling the road, at, you know, shows or what Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You know, you're, you're not, so you're up the creek. Yeah, I'm like I, I realize how much I've been traveling the last like year and a half, two years. It's been it's been insane. So it's uh, it's been you know it's good to have a little stretch at home every now and then. Pat McGann, comedian, is our guest on this edition of Tracks to Success. Tracks to Success is brought to you by Presentation Partners, visual storytellers passionate about connecting presenters with their audience. All right, we talked about Letterman. Give me the story about the Late Show with Stephen Colbert. That had to be fun as well. Oh, that was another great experience. And, you know, back at the Ed Sullivan Theater, they had really changed it up. I didn't anticipate, like, the dressing rooms were on a different floor. and They redid the whole thing to make it their own, which, which makes sense. I just didn't really foresee that. So it was a really different experience but awesome you know and, and um you know what's cool about that show i was so relaxed and like ready that you know my wife wasn't out there i was a total different thing like i, I had no family there no friends really um so i do the set and or before i do the set they had like a special um john stewart appearance on my mm. on my episode so when i when i went out there to like get my mark they, sh they show you like are you gonna come out here stand on this x 
I'm seeing John Stewart. I didn't expect to see him there because I saw who the guests were. Um, and then the dressing rooms, they're all right next to each other. And I was right next to Sean Astin, which is cool, right? You're mm-hmm. like, oh, this is Rudy. Mm. This is Mikey from Goonies. Like, <laughs> those things are cool. Like, the first Letterman I did, Kevin Bacon was on. Oh, wow. Like, having those, uh, like, be intersecting, crossing paths with those people, you know? So they also did some cool, which kind of worked against me, I think. But the night of the Colbert show, they had, like, three guests. They had the John Stewart pop up, and they had um, Carol Burnett. But they, Carol Burnett was not on my episode, but they taped it that night because they were airing it for like a special that she was doing like a week later. So they did like a two segment interview with her. So by the time I got out there, this crowd had been sitting there for close to three hours, Mm. which is not, which is not great Mm -mm. for a comic. So I think that kind of like you know, worked against me a little bit. I still am proud of the set and like, like the set, but um, just being there. And like, when I walked on for that set, Carol Burnett was literally walking right past me. And that was a cool moment. All right. I'm happy to be here. Just good to be out, right? Just good to be out. Got kids at home. My wife and I have three, three under four. Yeah. That's how people react. Some people ask me what it's like. Here's a fast fact. 75% of the asses I wipe aren't mine. <laughs> Got one in preschool. One in pre-preschool. Did you know that existed? Pre-preschool. My wife's like, he wants to go. We got to sign him up. He wants to go to school. It's like, he wants to go to school? He doesn't know what school is. <laughs> he wants to go to school? Just walk him out to the garage. Be like, here we are. <laughs> ah, this is our first day. This is a broom right here. We're going to learn how to sweep today. He might be gifted. That's what my wife says. Like, yeah, he was eating a crayon yesterday. <laughs> a purple one. Look like you after a glass of wine. <laughs> Sometimes we'll uh, take one. You know, I'll take one. My wife will take one, kind of divide and conquer. She took my daughter out the other night and then sends me a text. We're staying out. Thought you guys had some boy time. And just leaves me with the two little dudes. Like, really? The little guy doesn't even know he's a boy. <laughs> boy time. All right, text me when you're close so I can get rid of all the strippers and blow. Boy time, what do you do? You guys want to watch a game? Throw the ball around? Oh, no, you want to stand on that chair and flick the light switch on and off. <laughs> what do you want to get into? Oh, take all the Kleenex out of the box, one by one? That's awesome. No, don't worry about it. I'll just stuff them back in there. I'm just happy to be hanging out with the fellas. How easy is it to pick on people in the audience? Do you look for it? Do you, do you try to target somebody and go, I'm going to have some fun with this guy tonight? Not, I used to, I, you know, I started as a, as a host at Zany. So I was like the house MC. So every night I was, we were doing 12 shows a week and I would do a ton of crowd work. They wanted you to work the crowd, you know, start coming out being like, is anyone from out of town, anyone celebrating anything? And I would start to lean into people a little bit. And now I only do it if they bring attention to themselves, if they're interrupting <laughs> the show they interrupt the show or they're heckling or sometimes if I'm bored or I might be, you know, I might've tried a new bit and I'm processing like, okay, that kind of went okay. Or, you know, you're kind of thinking in real time, like that it's not going to work or that could be like enhanced, like build on that. In those moments, I might lose my footing in, in where I want to go next. And I might do some crowd work. Like, you know, and I only do that in the clubs, you know, when I'm opening for Sebastian and we're traveling 
and doing theaters and you know, these arenas and I, I don't do any crowd work. Yeah. Yeah. I, I asked that because, and I know you don't know tons about golf on the PGA tour, but if you talk to PGA tour players, um, they will tell you that on Wednesday in the pro-am, right, where people pay big bucks to go play with the pro and all that sort of stuff. On Wednesday, there's always that one guy who thinks he's really good and he can, like, oh, yeah. beat the professional. And the tour pro loves that because they think, yeah, who's this guy? Okay, yeah, there's – is there somebody in the crowd usually that tries to go toe-to-toe? I mean, you got a story <laughs> of some guy that, like, thinks he's funnier oh, yeah. than you? There's definitely that guy. There is that guy. He's not at every show. But he's he pops up a lot, and that guy does this. That guy will try to add to your joke, yell something out um, that might be somewhat related to it, but never in the right direction. You know, they derail things. And then this is where that guy really sucks. Is after the show, that guy comes up to you and says, "Hey, man, that was me. That was so fun tonight, man." Like thinking that they added to the show that they made it better and they ruined it for themselves and so what's your reply to them hey thanks a lot buddy i really appreciated you coming here bring five friends the next time or what yeah exactly it's like dude i don't and then you 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 just can't even like pretend you just got to be like oh yeah yeah like just get away (laughs) <laughs> they say when you have a good idea write it down immediately because you never remember it the same way later so you write your own stuff right i mean you're driving around do you pull over and do you write down your jokes is that accurate for how a stand-up comedian works where do you where do you do that i do do that i i will write stuff in my phone um or voice record an idea jot you know just notes like things and then maybe, you know, revisit them later. It might be a premise or something. But I don't do it as much as I used to. And I and I have found that if it's really funny, you probably are not going to forget it. Mm-hmm. You might. You might. I think you more like forget like little tags or little things that you add to jokes. But like an overall idea or theme, like you just you're probably going to be like, Oh, I do want to sit down and flesh that idea out or start rambling about that on stage, which I'm, my process is kind of evolving too. I used to be very much right, 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 right in the notebook, trim it, have it really tight. And then I found that I wasn't sounding as conversational as I wanted to like just having a conversation with the audience. I think that's like the, the goal, like that you're, it seems like, they're just talking with you, but it's a very one-sided conversation, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then, so I started, I started just kind of like trying stuff on stage and trying to let it come out naturally. So let's do a little quick rapid fire. Give me the night you remember as your best. Is there something that stands out one night that you go, you, you kind of went back to your hotel room or you said, Whew, man, that was amazing. Well, I've been handed some really unbelievable opportunities by opening for Sebastian Maniscalco and the crowds that he is getting, they're so excited to see him. I mean, they are juiced. We did four shows in Madison Square Garden that he sold out. I just did the United Center with him in November and that was like 
a homecoming for me, you know, he's from here too. People were so excited. Um, so it's like, there are so many great shows. I think that w there was a night in Pittsburgh that we did. And again, I'm just his opener doing 20 minutes. So it's like, I judge these separately. I judge those shows separate from like my own shows. Mm -hmm. But we did a show in Pittsburgh and for whatever reason, it was just like a magical night. But there's, those happen, you know, every now and then, like not more than every now and then, like, cause those crowds are so juiced. Mm -hmm. um, the good ones, hopefully they're, they're, they're all pretty good. You know, it's, it's the, the bad ones that, that stand out. It's, it's sometimes you're just like, Oh my God, that was, that was brutal. They, they hate him. I did, did a show with uh, Sebastian recently in, uh, I think it was Poughkeepsie, New York, and we were doing six shows over the weekend. And I, I like those anchor down weekends where mm -hmm. we're in one city, mm -hmm. one hotel. And the first show I was like really fired up about, and they were just not into me that much. Like I, I kind of got them at the end, but like those are the ones that you just kind of like, ah, oh, you want to like take a shower after. It's like, you just feel like deflated. Hmm. It's interesting because, and I wouldn't have known that, you know, one great show with the same guy, right? You're, you're traveling the same show. You're in Chicago, you're at Maris, Madison Square Garden. Amazing. And then you're in a smaller town and it, and it's, maybe it's a, maybe it's the community. Maybe it's the people. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, that, that's the thing. Like with him, I'm not a draw like he is at all. So I'll be with him and it's like, bananas and then i'll do a club on my own in like des moines iowa on a thursday or a sunday night and you know there could be some great shows in des moines iowa but on sunday night there might only be 30 people come out mm -hmm. and you're kind of like oh boy this is uh this is what i remember this is really comedy like i'm so spoiled living in this like sebastian world and then i get these reminders of what what's really out there you know yeah. so what do you do? You like how I, uh, you give me a rapid fire segment and I just answer for 30 minutes. No, I love it. It's good. You give me the best city in the country that you've been to. Take away, take away Chicago, take away Madison square garden, best city that nobody knows about that. You're like, man, I'd do comedy there every night. Uh, Madison, Wisconsin's a great town. That's awesome. I love Madison, Wisconsin. I like Grand Rapids, Michigan. Like there's some great, like B cities. Mm -hmm. I loved, um, Vancouver, Canada. Expensive city, by the way. Oh, Vancouver. Oh, is it? Is it? Yeah. 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 You don't there's, want to live there's there. There's so many great cities. It's so Austin. beautiful, though. Um, yeah. Okay. So that part of it is all really cool. A joke bombs, and what do you do? Like, there's people that do presentations or public speaking and, and they're always so fearful, right? Of, cause by the way, I don't know if you know this, but number one fear among all Americans in a survey is, is public speaking. And number two is death, which makes me laugh because it, it suggests that somebody would rather be buried six feet underground than be above ground yeah. talking about the life they had before they got buried. I never understand yeah. that, but your joke bombs. What do you do? I think you just got to own it. Either you go right into the next thing or you call it out. Like that's always like, that's the biggest thing in public speaking. I see that. You know, I've been in 
the presentations or, you know, been at services where like when people get up and they don't recognize the obvious, like mm-hmm. you got to call out whatever elephant is in the room always. And that's just like an instant connector and it relaxes everyone. Cause I do a lot of corporate gigs. So I see speakers often mm-hmm. and sometimes they're like brought in. Sometimes they're just employees of the company and you, you can tell a difference when people are connecting and they're not connecting. We're talking with Pat McGann. Pat, a few more things before I let you go. Here's here's the thing tied to what we were just talking about. I coach executives and teams about presentation, how to own a room and the art of connection and quick engagement, you know, how you hook people. And you can use all these different tactics and there's a bunch of different ones. One of them is humor. But I always tell people, you gotta be really, really careful about this because if you start with humor and you're not funny, you're swimming upstream. It's really difficult to get the engagement and get get an audience back. So for you, I mean, you're a funny guy to begin with, but I'm guessing that the first 30 seconds for you walking up on that stage in front of people is your most critical. Is that fair? Oh, yeah. You definitely have to get off the ground early. The longer it takes to get off the ground, the, the it's just like a gets gets worse it snowballs you've got to get that first laugh you know because like if you don't your average stuff becomes really bad and your great stuff becomes pretty good mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. like you you gotta yeah you have to connect immediately people do not have this is obvious right people just do not have the attention span that they used to have so Comedy audiences, usually, if they don't know who you are, and most people do not know who I am, they, you got to, like, get out there and punch them in the mouth, like, immediately. Average attention spans eight seconds. Eight seconds. I I, I tell people that. I go, you know, that's not a lot of time. I had a guy raise his hand in one of my seminars. He goes, "I'm, I'm here to tell you eight seconds is a lot of time. I go, really? He says, yeah. I was a professional bull rider for like 15 years. (laughs) Let me tell you, eight seconds. So everybody laughs, right? Good line by that guy. But in that, I hear you. And you were talking about trying to do things that that get people. You kind of just said, people don't know you. I disagree. I know you. You're memorable to me. And I have this saying that master storytellers create legions of followers. So you got me, right? But how big is it to have a following for you? How do you try to grow that? Do you have a philosophy? I don't really have a philosophy. I have a, um, and, and it's and it's like probably been to my detriment a little bit. I've always thought that if I'm just a really good comic, mm-hmm. that it will just happen. But there are so many great comics that it has not happened for in terms of huge success. Now, I say that being very happy with where I'm at in my career. And, you know, I still live in Chicago, so I haven't made the move to New York or L.A. And that, you know, I I can't say that, you know, I've put everything into it. Simply just that alone. I never moved to New York or L.A. But, um now as i feel like i'm talking about things that people are connecting to and relating with 
that's how I'm getting followers, word of mouth, doing great shows, mm-hmm. um, and just putting content out there. I've realized how important social media is. When I got into this, I didn't get into it to do social media. I got into it to do stand-up comedy. And then this social media thing exploded. And then you have to pivot into that world. And that took a while as well mm-hmm. to try and get that going. And I'm still not the best at that. So it's like I ran away from business to do this like hobby and I'm finding out that it's just as much a business. Like this is, you know, you have to really hustle. People are out here working hard. And I, the, the, the most successful people that I've come across as I've gotten to know them, they are work demons. They're obsessed. They are relentless. And that's, that's, I think what it takes to be great. You talked about the social media following, and I want to go back to the the pop-up comedy that you did in your house uh, during the coronavirus and everybody on lockdown. Um, perfect example, okay. right? Because you put it all over Instagram. You got it on Twitter and, and your kids. It's so funny because, you know, you'd walk into the room holding the microphone and the same kid, I don't know which kid it is because I haven't met your kids, but same kid screams every single time. You click off the TV. <laughs> How did you come up with this whole thing? And your wife, by the way, is pretty funny. Oh, yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, she is funny. So we did, um, I was, you know, when I got sidelined from the live shows, I was home and after that first week, like, because I don't go five days without being on stage. I was like, <laughs> I just missed doing shows. So I just let it, I was like looking for things. I posted a couple things at the beginning of the, the quarantine and I, and they were fine. And then I did, I was like, let me try this pop-up show. And then it just seemed like after I did it, that like, well, this could just be like a refillable. Like it's got a beginning, middle and end. It's got like the beginning and like when I turn the TV off and they scream like, and I always catch them off guard. Like they, it's a, that's a real response when they're doing that. Um, so once I started posting those, it just kind of snowballed and, you know, at times was like, can I do this again? Or should I do this again? Because it gets to be a little bit exhausting, but <laughs> that's why I, there were many nights I was looking forward to it. Like, hey, I got a couple of good ideas for tonight, and I want to tell these jokes. But I'm sure your kids are looking forward to it too. It's <laughs> just the way the way I dealt with denial. Yeah. All right. Um, let's get this out of the way before I ask my final question. Um, where sure. can people find your stuff? Website, YouTube, maybe. Um, obviously on the road at, at shows and whatnot or in Chicago, but uh, give us your Twitter handle, your Instagram and, and your website. So Twitter is at McGann Pat. Instagram is at McGann underscore Pat. And then I'm going to have a website, Pat What's cool about this Craig is good timing. If you want to check out my special, I take the special that Sebastian Maniscalco actually is producing. He produced it. We shot it here in Chicago at the Vic theater. We did, couple shows and i got a special out of it that i'm excited for people to see and it's going to come out i believe july 1st um so it might be out already right no july 1st not quite maybe okay so july 1 and i'm pretty sure it's going to be on amazon but it's going to be on a bunch of different uh platforms including apple tv and so we're kind of working out where exactly it's going to be but it's going to be july 1 
And if you follow me on social media, you will definitely know where it is. All right. Um, so I'm excited for people to see it. This is called Tracks to Success. That's what this podcast is called. And I say inspiring people, inspiring stories. We've talked about your journey. You have a unique career and an interesting path. Biggest advice you could give to people in any walk based on your journey to being a sought-after entertainer, and I do say sought-after, what advice do you give people about their path? Um, I, I, You know, not to sound like cliche, but if you find something that you're passionate about, whether you monetize it or not, I think it will bring you happiness. Um, I think you can measure success a lot of different ways. Just, I think, being yourself, which is so hard to do, right? Mm -hmm. To be your true self. And just put time in whatever. I don't want to tell people to work hard because that doesn't come natural to a lot of people, but just putting time in to some passion. And again, it doesn't have to be something you monetize. I just think it brings a lot of joy doing that. Well, you're a Chicago guy, pride of Chicago. I'm a Chicago guy, love the city, seen you at Zanies, as we talked about, saw you in Vegas. I guarantee I'm gonna come find you again someplace. And everybody else should as well. Um, Thank you, Craig. It's been a pleasure to have you. And to all our listeners, go find Pat McGann. Pat, be safe. Thanks so much for the time. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Craig. Take care. In our conversation, Pat shared stories about standing in front of an audience and the goal of owning the stage, which leads me to my one last thing. If you want to be an influencer, realize that being a good to great presenter is one of the biggest gifts among great leaders in any profession. It's not just what you say to people, it's how you say it, and more importantly, how you make people feel. In my workshops, one of the key focal points is the time spent crafting your personal story and then the opportunity to deliver it to an audience. How we connect our stories is a direct lead to how relatable you are and what people will say about you. So when you're faced with your next presentation, think about connecting with those in front of you. It's more important than the words or the information you deliver. I hope these thoughts and the things we discussed in this interview help put you on the track to success. If you have a guest you think belongs on Tracks to Success, go ahead and share it on our Twitter site, at Tracks to Success. I can't wait to hear from you. Until next time, I'm Craig Can. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Tracks to Success, brought to you by Presentation Partners, visual storytellers passionate about connecting presenters with their audience. Don't forget to subscribe to the show for more great interviews and thoughts on reaching your highest personal and professional summit. You can follow Craig on Twitter and Instagram using the handle at Craig Can. And for exclusive Tracks to Success content and news about our upcoming guests, you can find Tracks to Success on Twitter. It's at Tracks to Success.